All right. Hey, I just want to welcome, of course, our online campus. Thank you guys for your faithful attendance. And then also everybody in the Fram fam, as we say, Framingham campus, TC campus, all of us from Ashland, can we give them a warm welcome? Come on, family. Glad you guys are with us. Amen. Well, that was uh, some powerful worship. Can uh, you guys agree with me on that? So grateful for our worship team. And uh, every, every Sunday when my daughter sings, uh, I struggle to turn around and go, that's my daughter up there. That's my daughter. But anyway, uh, so you have your proud of the team, and then you have your proud moments as a papa. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to get into uh, uh, the series today, The Hoods. If you got a hoodie, just put your hoodie on. You'll look cool. It'll fit the, it'll fit the series. But we've been talking about uh, all these messages that end with the word hood. And we've been going from motherhood will end on Father's Day. And guess what we'll call that? Fatherhood. Fatherhood. Good job. Uh, and so we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But could you just uh, join me as I just open with a word of prayer? I want to ask God to kind of punctuate uh, this segment of the service. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to speak to your people. I don't take it lightly. I, I count it a privilege. It's an honor. Help me to do a good job. Help me to transfer what you've uh, translated to me uh, to the best of my ability. I pray it be transformational for the people that are here. Lord, we're going to talk about some things that are under the hood today. And I pray, Lord, that um, it do a work on the inside of each and every one of us. Lord, we set our affections right now, not on the earthly things, but on things above. And we thank you, Lord, that as we set our heart on things above, you do a work in our heart right down here. And we praise you in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say what we always say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Thank you, thank you, brother. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read from uh, the paraphrase, the message translation, Eugene Peterson, if you need to know the author. He paraphrased the Bible, and in Romans chapter 12, look at how it Look at how it says it. This is Romans 12 too. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Isn't that kind of what's happening right now? Five people said amen. Okay. So instead, fix your attention on God. So that's what we're supposed to do because you'll be changed when you do that from the what? You'll be changed from the inside out. So that's really a big focus of today is inside out. should be really every day in our walk with God. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. But what God wants to do is bring out what? He wants to bring out the best in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want, I want, I want the best out of you. I want the best out of you. And, and, and he wants the best out of you in every single area of your life, developing well-formed maturity in you. That's God's plan for you. He wants to develop the best in you. Um, speaking of, it's, it's, it's kind of his, his job is, is an inside-out job. And speaking of job, didn't Pastor Devin do a great job last week in, in the mess? Come on, give it up for Pastor Devin. I think he's over at TC. Good job, Devin. He talked about adulthood, which is really what this scripture is referencing is maturity. And, and that we're not, I loved, I loved how he phrased this because he separated, of course, and distinguished between a believer and a disciple but, uh, you know, a believer likes Jesus, but a disciple wants to become like Jesus. Amen. How many want to become like, more like Jesus today? Amen. Half the people want to become more like Jesus. All right. So if you're ready to grow today and go under the surface a little bit, today's message is entitled Under the Hood. Under the Hood. 
And I'm going to start with a little story, a little personal story. Some of you maybe heard this a long time ago, but in 1972, my, my father had a heart attack. And he was 29 years old, and um, it was an earth-shattering experience in our home. Uh, he had a rather tumultuous trip uh, to the hospital. That's a message all by itself. He's having a heart attack, yelling at my mom because she was coming up to every stoplight and stopping and every stop sign and stopping and looking for traffic. And she's like, Randa, I'm about to die. Take me to the hospital. And she's obeying traffic signs. Um, the whole way there. So anyway, to my father's chagrin, uh, anyway. But they finally got there, and, 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 and it, was just, it was just a major wake-up call, not just for him, but really for our whole family. And one of the things I'll just say at the outset that I learned at a very early age is that everything begins and ends with the heart. Yep. Uh, everything, everything. I learned that at four years old, and I, I learned later um, that there's different ways that the enemy will always try to attack us, uh, and what he's really after is to get our heart to stop. You know, this may sound crazy to some of you, but this is an actual truth. This is a, this is a real family uh, legacy that was broken. A bad, there's bad things sometimes that are passed, to, passed down. There are good things that are passed down. Yes or no? Well, my father had a heart attack at 29. His father had a heart attack at 39. And his father had a heart attack at 49. On my 19th birthday, I was sweating bullets. Come on, somebody. <laughs> And I'm just trying, I'm just, I'm here to say that curse was broken, amen, because I saw 19, I saw 29, I saw 39, and I'm still 39, praise the Lord. Come on. <laughs> but I learned, I learned then, and, and I'm learning even more, that everything begins and ends with the heart. But what they do when, when you go to an ER, when you go to an emergency, or when you're just riding in the ambulance, is the first thing you do is they check your they check your vitals. They check your vital signs. And so they're, they're, they're using external instruments fundamentally to measure what's happening on the inside. Right? It's all, it's whatever they're doing that's on the outside, it's really, it's really what is actually, it's, what, is the, what are the indicators, what are the signs of what's happening inside. So they check your pulse and, and other things like that to see how you're doing. And so goes the heart. We know this is the natural. So goes the body. So goes the heart. So goes life. The heart is where it's at, amen? amen? It's just like in the natural. Your whole life is connected uh, to your heart. And that is not just a natural law. That is a spiritual law as well. In other words, the condition or health of your life is measured by the condition or health of your heart. You guys can fill in the blanks once in a while. This, you know, this is not hard. It's, it, you know this to be true. I don't know if you know this to be true. But this is still the number one cause of death in America today is cardiovascular disease. Still number one. And I would submit to you it's still the number one cause of spiritual death. It, it's, 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 you know, it's arterial sclerosis of the heart. The veins that go into the heart of our life are killing us spiritually. And so as we kind of look through the medical field to kind of kick this thing off, uh, we sometimes don't know or see the condition of our heart. But the Bible tells us, Proverbs 4.23, you've heard this a million times. If you haven't, you're going to hear it uh, today. It says, above all else, guard your heart. But what we forget is, it says, for out of it are the wellsprings of life. One translation says, everything flows, all life flows from the condition or status of your heart. And that's why Jesus worked so hard uh, to get us to not listen to the voices of the religious, 
which were so externally focused, they were always focused on external behaviors, not necessarily on the things that were going on inside of us. Jesus was always trying to get us to focus more on the inside than the outside. In fact, if you were to try to interpret the difference as simple, one, interpretation of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is fundamentally the Old Testament is about rules. It's about religious behaviors. It's about protocols and, and, and of that sort of thing. But the New Testament is always, 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 always having an internal focus because Jesus knew that it was the inside that determines what's happening on the outside. That's why he said things like, you've heard it said. And then he, what is he doing? He's referencing the Old Testament where it says, if you, you know, talking about if you commit adultery, that's a sin. But then he says, but if you even look, if you even look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed, you've committed adultery in your, in your heart, in your heart. Because there's, there's a problem there that actually will ultimately surface out here. And that's true because the things that are happening in our heart produce a pathway to behaviors that are happening externally in our life. So if you take care of your heart... Uh, and the heart, then the heart will help you with this or that if you take care of your heart. And that's what my father had to learn at 29. By the way, as a testimony from 29 uh, to 50, he began to take care of his heart. He actually went from being uh, very obese, unable to tie his own shoes, uh, things like that. I don't know if you can imagine some of you that knew him probably never saw that side of him, uh, but I can remember it. I can remember him spraining his ankle uh, because he was so heavy and he had walk around on crutches and but from 29 to 50 he made radical changes in his physical not just spiritual life to the point where at 50 years old he ran the Boston Marathon and he ran it eight years in a row eight years in a row he took care his heart was strong my father had a very very uh, strong heart and so that that's a natural example of what you can do in the spirit what you can do with your the condition of your heart and, and whatever is going on inside of it can be changed it might not happen in an instant most things don't sometimes it does by the grace and mercy of God sometimes we can change in a moment but most of the time it doesn't happen in a second it happens over time we like to say it's a process it's a journey doesn't happen in a second. Sometimes it's in a system. That's why we encourage you to get into next steps and, and go and figure, find your find your path. Amen. Get on that journey. Become an adult uh, Christian, a mature Christian believer who's not just believing things in their head, but is discipled Amen. and being a discipler as well. Are you with me, everybody? Amen. So Jesus did this over and over again. He was always coming at the heart stuff. It could be related to uh, the subject of marriage and relationships and divorce and remarriage. In fact, one time in Matthew 19, uh, the Pharisees were trying to, you, some of you know this text, Matthew 19, verse 3. Jesus is, uh, they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying, and they, and they pose this question at him about marriage. And, and they say this, they say, should a man, Jesus, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, at that particular time, and I, I gotta not go into this too deep, but there were kind of two trains of thought that the Greeks had what's called back then, uh, it, it could be summarized as a no fault divorce clause. If you just wanted to get rid of your wife, you could. That's how the Greeks believed. And the Jews had kind of two ways to look at it. And so they're coming at Jesus and they're gonna play the game, which one works to their advantage. And so they say, should a, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus says, haven't you read the Bible? So he kind of, he nails them. He's referring to the Old Testament, of course. And that's insulting right out of the gate, but that's what Jesus would do, the religious. They record that from the beginning, in the very beginning, God made male and female 
By the way, I just want to go on record and say God's very clear about two genders, male and female. There it is, right there in the Bible. Once in a while, we have to establish that at church. He's not unclear. It's right there. That's why there's confusion. That's why there's confusion. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let, one, let no one split apart with God joined together. So he's like... Didn't you read that? What do you, what do you, what's your problem? So they go, oh, okay. So now they're going to try to spin it again. Here's another question. So then why did Moses say in the law, one translation says, why did Moses command, which it wasn't a commandment, so they're actually spinning words with Jesus. He didn't command something. It was permitted. It was a concession. You'll see in a second. Why did Moses say in the law that a man could give a, a wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked this. Uh, so they ask this because they're just trying to trip him up. So watch what Jesus says. He says, Moses permitted divorce. He corrects them. He didn't say it was a law. He didn't, he didn't say that. He, he permitted this divorce only as a concession to, here we go, internal to your hard hearts or the hardness of heart. In other words, if it wasn't for the condition of your heart, then in most instances, if two parties had their hearts right, you could work it out. The reason that divorce was necessary as a concession, not as a law or a commandment, was because man has a hard heart sometimes. A lot of times. Right? And so he said, because of the hardness of your heart. But it was not what God had originally intended. So any time, isn't that, isn't that really what it comes down to? God has an original design and then we kind of like to redesign things? Or the enemy encourages us to redesign things? Okay, and so we have something in our life. Anytime we have something in our life that is not the way God intended uh, for it to be, we have a choice. And the choice is to try to do better. That's what, that's what the religious will tell us. The relig religion will tell us. But there's another way to do it. And Jesus is fundamentally saying, you got to deal with the condition of your heart. That's the best way to deal uh, with this problem. The heart is a huge part of the problem, and it's a huge part of the solutions. And this was in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let, me, let me take you back a little bit. Are you guys enjoying this so far? Yeah. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, and so in the Old Testament, we had representatives before God uh, who went to God on our behalf. So in the Old Testament, I would be like maybe your priest. I'm not your priest, praise the Lord. Uh, the modern kind of uh, religious terminology to describe this office would be like a reverend, you know, or something like that. Uh, just don't call me reverend. Just, I just want to get on record and just say, please don't call me reverend, okay? The reverend is here, you know. It just sounds so weird to me, okay? So I like pastor, you know, PD is kind of an affectionate term we use around here. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but in the Old Testament, the priests, when they were approaching God... They had, to, uh, they had to wear certain garments. They had to put on like a, a, a particular, different things. But one of the garments that they would put on was known as the breast piece of decision. This is the uh, breastplate of righteousness or you could modern breast piece of decision. Are you with me, everybody? Very interesting term. I got to say something about priests because we're going to talk about this next week. The, the cool thing is while I'm talking about the Old Testament of priests going before you, I want you to know that in the New Testament, you are a priest. We are kings and priests according to the New Testament. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people to show forth the praises of him. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a priest. So that means you have the same rights and responsibilities and privileges of a priest. And next week we're going to talk about priesthood. 
Okay, two people are excited about next week. There's going to be like three people here next week, Pastor Derek, because nobody was excited about that. I was a setup for next week's message, and it completely flopped. I hope TC and Framingham will be in church next week. Praise the Lord. All right, so watch this. Wow, I got work to do. So watch this. Whenever a priest came to God in the holy place, he's, he's, he's bearing something. He's, he's not only got this garment on, but on this, on this garment, over his heart, he's bearing names. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit deep today. Can you guys handle deep today? Yeah. Say, I want to learn something. I want to grow, okay? So, so he's bearing, this is going to be a little deep, deep water today. Um, so he's already bearing names, and they're written right over his heart. Look what the Bible says, Exodus 28, 29 says, When Aaron entered the holy place, Aaron's the high priest, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over what? Over what? His heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continual memorial before the Lord. So time out. Every time you go before God, you come to God, uh, you come with things that are, you, you could say for this title of this message, under the hood, or you could say written on your hearts. You, everybody can't see them. Sometimes you can't see them, but they're written there over your heart. Names. Now, these names have different meanings, but, but I want you to understand that you are fundamentally the sum total of your experiences, your choices, and your relationships, and those things are housed in your heart. This is better teaching than you're saying amen, okay? And so there, there are things that are good or bad, but, but a lot of times there are pain, past problems, people that have been written on your heart, and they're affecting your life in every single way imaginable, okay? The Bible calls these names, um, they're, they're like encounters, experiences, uh, meaningful moments, exchanges that you have. Uh, they're names, and they're written on your heart. Are you guys there right now? You got to get this part, okay? The names on your heart are the breast piece of decision, and that is where your decisions flow from. Remember how we talked about in Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart flows life. The wellspring of life comes from your heart, and over your heart are written names, experiences, encounters, uh, scenarios that you've had with people, and it's almost like a tattoo on your heart. It could be a scar or a mark. Sometimes you're scarred by these experiences, that's negative. Sometimes you're marked by these experiences, that's positive. Okay, you'll get this, it'll make sense in a, in a, in a minute. For, verse 30 says, thus Aaron will bear the, bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart. So your decisions come from, flow from your heart. Some good stuff there, some bad stuff there. So what are you, in other words, a way to say it is what are you putting what are you filtering life through? It's filtered through here, right here. The breastplate of decision making. It's filtered through your heart. And there are things there that, uh, like a windshield to your heart, that are making it clear or cloudy. Okay, everybody? And so that's why... Uh, regardless of what we talk about in the Hood series or what Devin talked about, in, I'm not saying what he said is not important, but I'm just saying you can't, the first step in your spiritual journey, and in order for you to be whole, healthy, and do life right, is you got to get, you got to get this filter fixed. Going to have a good amen from all the campuses here. I'm preaching pretty good. So, so you, listen, I'll say it like this. You can go to heaven with, with, with this, with this heart thing wrong like it's maybe it's got some it's broken and busted and it's got unforgiveness and anger and hurt and rejection and all kinds of names written over it you can still go to heaven but you're going to be miserable here on earth okay 
When I, was, when I was in middle school, I had a friend. I, I'm, I'm tempted to say his name, but who knows? He might listen to this or somebody who knows him, so I don't want to embarrass him. But I'm, I'll just call him Gary, okay? I don't know why I picked that name, but whatever. His name begins with G. We'll call him Gary. So Gary and I went to middle school together, and, and the, Gary was wicked smart, okay? You can say that in New England. Everybody knows what you're talking about. He's wicked smart. I mean, like, wow, like crazy smart. And we were in math class one time in the eighth grade, and our math teacher would always make us do problems, problem solving on the chalkboard. Some of you guys remember these, the old days, you had to get out of your seat, you got to go to the chalkboard, show everybody, you know, the answer. You kind of like, kind of like exploited your intelligence or your lack of intelligence. You know what I'm saying, somebody? Some of us didn't want to go to the board so much in math classes, some others did, okay? So I sat at the back in math and I sat in the front in English, okay? But anyway, so I'm, I'm in math class, Mr. Mr. So-and-so, Mr. E puts out the problem. As soon as he puts out the problem, my friend Gary immediately, he, he, he's I can see his brain. I watched him. <laughs> Smoke's going. He's got the answer. He raises his hand before anybody has even thought about an answer. He's got his hand. Okay, Gary, go to the board and give the answer. So he'd go up to the board, write the answer, whoosh, underline it, go back to his seat. And before he got back to his seat, Mr. E said, Gary, that's the wrong answer. He said, my friend Gary said, no, it's not. Yes, it is. It's the wrong. No, it's not. That's the right answer. And then Mr. E said, it's the wrong answer because you didn't show your work. Do you remember how many hated when your teacher said that? How many are a teacher that said that? Exploit, 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 exploit. You exploited me, I'm exploiting you. Just kidding. Uh, but that, I used to hate that. Kind of, just as a sidebar, I, I do think it's right, but I just want to say for this illustration that that's how religion is. Religion wants you to show your work. It's not that you have the answer right on the inside. It's you got to show everything on the outside, right? And so he, he got so offended by the answer, and they're going back and forth. And I can remember him saying, Gary, here's, the, the teacher just yelled at him. And, and, and Gary didn't want to hear it. And, and Gary, Gary was going back to his seat, and the teacher basically said, here's the problem with you, Gary. You're never going to amount to anything because you don't show your work. And that day, in the eighth grade, my friend wrote a new name over his heart. He crossed out smart, intelligent, sharp, and he put over there lazy. Never going to amount to anything over his heart. And the reason I say that is because many people have allowed, many people that are listening to my voice, many people in this room listening online, have allowed people, uh, circumstances, situations, and experiences to cross out names that God put upon you from the time of your birth, from other people, cross those names out and put a new name there to try to determine your destiny or your future, and it's not of God. And for a person who's been in ministry uh, over 30 years, I don't want to really get into that too, too much. I've just seen so many people in this situation who've been hurt by this. A bad name instead of a good name written over their heart. I remember when I was in seminary, sometimes they call it the cemetery, <laughs> where my professor, uh, he just didn't like me. And I can remember, I, I always had a different approach. I, I took this class, it was called Sermon I was in seminary for a little while, and I took this class called Sermon Prep and Practice Preaching. So you learn how to prepare a message, and you learn how to deliver a message, and we always had to deliver a message, sometimes on demand, like, here's the scripture, start, go. 
And to be honest with you, I didn't, I thought I was pretty good back then, but this professor didn't like that God had given me a natural gift and a different approach to be able to say things, and it wasn't fitting into his mold. And so he would zing me left and right. And, and one time he says, Fry, I can't imagine you in ministry and the way you preach with an approach like that. And I remember it got to me. And I remember just writing that name over my heart. And, and to be honest, I got out of ministry because of that professor. I dropped out of seminary because of words like that. And it wasn't... If, if not for the encouragement of other spiritual fathers and strong, I actually met a business leader at the school that I went to who was a stronger Christian, uh, more influential in the marketplace than my professor was in ministry. And he spoke words of life over me. He said, no, you have an incredible gift. It's raw, but you have a gift. It's very raw. It's got a lot of work I'll be done, but it's very raw. And I can remember my father telling me years later, my, my old man basically speaking life over me, son, you're going to be a way, you are a way better pastor than me, a true shepherd, a leader. A, you'll be a, you are a better, remember when he said it, you are a better communicator than me right now. And, and a new name was written over my heart. And listen, the curse was reversed. Just like that. Just like that. And, and the reason I'm telling you that is because you, you editorially are operating, each and every one of you, out of the names that are written on your heart. What's going on under the hood, that breast piece of decision, good or bad, things that have happened to you uh, right here. For some of you, as a person that said some really nasty things and if I asked you to just kind of be quiet and close your eyes and be still you can probably surface some of those things where someone or something scarred you and, and there are other experiences that were maybe positive that have helped you be successful but either way I'm just trying to get you to see you can't really move forward and experience the abundant life that Devin was talking about last week until you heal the filter and the filter is your heart in Ephesians chapter 1, it's not in your notes and it won't be on the screen. Ephesians 1.18 says, it uses the term, Paul speaking, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I'm like, eyes are not on your heart, eyes are in your head. But Paul knew what I'm talking about, that the eyes are actually in your heart. You see things, you hear things through this filter. And you can see things and hear things. All of us see and hear the same thing, but filter it completely differently because, well, why? The names. That are written over your heart. Is this making sense to you? If there's nothing else that I said, I want you to get this part because I want you to see how important it is because that's why your heart has to be healed first. Let me give you another example about this. Uh, I'm going to talk about a guy that you probably haven't heard of uh, because it's, it's it, but he's the father of a famous person in the Bible, Abraham. Abraham's father's name was Terah. Not terror, terror. That's a two-year-old story. But this is a story about Abraham's father. Genesis chapter 11. Let me read this to you. It's amazing. Genesis 11:27 says, this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, that's Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur. Haran is Terah's son. He died. He died in the land of his birth. We don't know how he died. Uh, we just know that he died premature. We just know that, he, that, he, that, that Terah outlasted, outlived his son. Which how many know that's one of the worst things that can happen to anybody? On the planet. And he did it. This happened in a place called Ur. It's, it, the Ur represents the place 
that God doesn't want you to be. He wants you to get out of. It's a place where you get kind of, it's like where you get stuck. That's what I want you to think of when you see, everybody, it's not supposed to be there. We got to get out of there, okay? And something happens uh, in Tara's life. And I believe it's an aspect of uh, discussion. Scholars have think different things about this, and I'm going to give you my opinion on it today. But regardless, something happens. Tara wakes up and he decides, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Ur, and I'm going to go to this, this, this place called Canaan, which for lack of information is called the promised land. This is where everybody, this is where blessing is going to be. Milk and honey is going to flow. It's going to be a great part of life. And, and I'm gonna, the speculation uh, that I'll get to is that uh, God called him to that. It doesn't say that, but many people believe that God called Terah to Canaan, the promised land. Is everybody tracking so far? I, I know we're in deep water, so I'm asking you to kind of pay attention to me. In other words, if true, God spoke to not Abraham to go into the promised land. He spoke to Terah, Abraham's father, and instead of it being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like we celebrate today, it would have been the, the God of Terah, Abraham, and Jacob. Okay? So here's what happens. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram. Regardless of what you believe about that, it, he did leave. He took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Aaron, and his daughter-in-law Sariah, the wife of the son Abram. And together they set out for Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they're on a journey, okay? Is everybody with me? Yeah. They're on a journey. I'm saying I believe the original call was for Terah, not Abraham. And that's where he was supposed to go. And now we get one of the most depressing verses in the Bible comes up. And it says, it says but when they came to uh, Aaron, by the way, there's an a a extra R here because this is not the son. The son's name was Aaron, but so was this location. Track with me here because it's significant. The son who died, the son of Terah who died, is not the place that they're now going to. Somewhere between Ur, where they were stuck, and the promised land, they passed through this place called Aaron. And it's got another R in it because it's not the son. It's a location that has the same name as the son. Five people are still with me, praise the Lord. So he has to pass through this place that has the same name as his dead boy. And when he got there, he couldn't leave. He couldn't leave because of, I believe, and many believe, of the pain of his son's death. It reminded him of his past. Many people whose names are written over their heart are a person. It could be a problem. It's a pain or it's your past. And some people get stuck there and live there sometimes the rest of their lives. And God wants to take people from Ur to their promised land, but they get stuck at the place of pain, Aaron, and they can never leave. And the Bible says that he settled there for 205 years. And as a pastor for 30 years, I have seen hundreds, probably thousands of people who never get from where God, where they started to where God wants them to be because of some person, some problem, some past situation that has now defined them. And they settle in their pain for the rest of their lives. And God wants to heal that pain and take them out of that place and move them to their promised land, to their fulfilled life in Jesus Christ. Are you with me, everybody? It's a sad reality. And the only way that's going to happen is if you heal this filter, if you heal your heart. 
It's your number one objective when you're growing your faith in Christ. And so, by the way, in chapter 12, verse 1, you don't have to look at it, but God asked Abraham the same thing that I think he asked Terah. Will you go to Canaan? Will you follow my ways? Will you, will you go into this land? of? I need you to go. If your dad wouldn't go, will you? And we know that he did. And we know that he was blessed. And we know that he became the father of, of, of our faith. And, and, and that he was blessed. You know, as, as many as the sands on the seashore were his offspring. He was so blessed. But some of us have in all of us this idea that because of these names, that's just who I am. That's just the way it's going to be. My daddy was mad, and so now I'm mad. My mom had this problem, so now I have this problem. My parents had a bad marriage, and so now I have a bad marriage. It's just in my genes. It's genetic. No, it's in your heart. It's in your heart, and it's going to be healed in your heart. And when it's healed in your heart, things begin to change. So anytime the devil would try, I'm going to show you another example in a second. Every time the devil tries to destroy somebody, he tries to change their name. Anytime you see a person who's changed by God, he gives them a new name. Names mean more than what you think sometimes. Sometimes you don't realize what your name means. My parents used to always tell me what my name, Derek. It's not D-E-R-E-K, it's D-E-R-Y-C-K. Why? Because he loves you. No, I'm just kidding. D-E-R... <laughs> D-E-R-Y-C-K. My name means leader of men. It's the Teutonic name meaning leader of men. My parents just prophesied that over me my whole life. You will be a leader. You will be a leader. Your name means leader. Your name is just not a label. Okay? It, it means more. God, God wants you to see it that way. He, and so he always wants to change things by changing what's written over the breast piece of decision making. The heart. The heart. Amen. One other example. My pastor wrote a book on this called The Daniel Dilemma, so I'm going to talk about that just real quick, because, and then I'm going to end with this today. But the, 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 the Israelites were taken captive, besieged, by a king named Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. And they took everyone as slaves in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and following. And he besieges the city of Jerusalem, takes all these people, slaves, and then from this group of people, he selects... Uh, some that are cut above, you know, handsome, ruddy, good-looking, smart, intelligent, you know, have favor on their life. And the Bible says that he, the king orders this guy, Ashpenaz, 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 and chief of the king's court. And to bring into the king's service some of these Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Look what the Bible says. It says young men. Everybody say young men. Young men. By the way, most of our names... Most of the time, the enemy tries to rewrite your names when you're young. Did you hear what I said? That, that's, why, that's why we see a total assault uh, upon young people in the school systems today. The, it wasn't just universities. That's where it really was bad uh, uh, 20 years ago. Now it's right down into elementary schools where names are being rewritten and identities are being changed. And, and it's being written over them while they're young because they know it will affect the rest of their lives. This is happening right now. And we need to pay attention and wake up. And so the Bible says that this Ashpenaz, he was to teach them or you could say indoctrinate the language and literature of the Babylonians. What is he trying to do? He's trying to change them. And so the king assigns them all these different things. All right, and I'll skip down. But what I want you to see is these men's original names, you don't even know. You only know biblically the names that they were given by this man. 
their original Hebrew names. And so what I want to do is I, wanna, I want you to know that the chief official of Nebuchadnezzar renamed these four Hebrew men. And I want you to see what their original name was and what their new name was. And I want you to see the significance of names. Is everybody with me right now? I learned this from my pastor, so I want to give him credit for that. So Daniel means God is my judge. That was his original name. In other words, I will live by his statutes, his ways. God's right. I'm not right. But look at the new name that, that, the, that the world system gave him. They gave him the name Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the king. It's a feminine name, and, and just this is happening right now. In other words, it's saying, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Can you guys handle that this morning? We talk, we talk straight here at Connect, okay? In other words, this renaming is taking place. So the summary of this rename is what the enemy is trying to do is confuse identities. And our generation is more confused with who they are than any other time in history. And so the world's answer to this is not God's answer. The world's answer is gender-affirming care. Translation, mutilation of young children. And being endorsed by states and, 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 and agencies. It's just, it's, it's horrific, everybody. And I just kind of, once in a while, you got to go on record. That's not the answer. The answer is that God made them who they were created to be. There's no mistakes. And he, he has a specific purpose for their life. That's God's purpose and plan. Amen? And then for, I'm going to go a little long so you can ha hang on here, everybody. From Hananiah, that name, that was the Hebrew name. It means Yahweh has been gracious. God is awesome, gracious. He's good. They renamed him Shadrach, which means be afraid of God. If you mess up, <laughs> you'll be messed up. That's what, the, that's what this name means. It's a, the, the ash of this, the summary of this, is a distorted spirituality. The, the lie is to distort your spirituality. God's not, God doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He, he'll make you a grease spot if you fail him. And yet, at the same, while this is going on, I just want to say as a point of encouragement, and this is important for you to pay attention, there's a fresh move of God in our nation right now. It's not just right here. It's not just a little bit here and here. It's across the whole nation. So in spite of the fact that the enemy is trying to distort our spirituality, God is on the move in our midst, and people are hungry for the real deal from God right now. Stay with me. Mishael was the original Hebrew name. You probably never heard of that, but it basically means... Who is what God is? He's awesome. An awe of God. Nobody has an awe of God sometimes anymore. And they renamed him to Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, humiliated. It really means wounded. And the ash of this, the summary of this particular identity, this name is wounded emotions. I've never seen a day in society where more people are not anxious, depressed, emotionally disturbed than we do right now. That is the spirit of the age, and it's only going to be fixed when we get the names right over our hearts and we get this filter healed by the power of Jesus. Are you with me? And then the last name, the Hebrew name that mo most of us never heard before, we only heard the name Abednego, but the Hebrew name was Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped me. It really means, unpacked more, is that God prophesies to your future, that he has a hope and he has a plan for you, like it says in the book of Jeremiah. But Abednego is a weird name. It means servant of Nebo. <laughs> You're like, what in the world does that mean? It basically means, Nebo means that the enemy has a script for you. 
He wants to prophesy your future and convince you this is the only way you can live. So many people in this room and outside of this room have at seasons of their life pers personally might be living there right now, have adopted a, 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 an identity and a plan and a pathway that's, that they know is not right, but they're living it. They're living it. And, the, and, and they think that that's the only thing they could live is that path. And, God, and, and because of that, sometimes you're convinced that's, your, that's the last chapter. And that, that's, that's my story. And I can't get, I married this dubba. I, I, I'm in this job. I can't get out of it. This is my, this is my future because, it, and it's too late for me. And the enemy is trying to redirect your purpose. And can I just tell you something? You might be in Ashland, Massachusetts, and God has called you uh, to get to Worcester. But maybe you got lost in Lemonster. But how many know that God has the supernatural ability to work all things together for good? And even if you got a little bit diverted, you can still get to Worcester, Massachusetts. And you can still get to the last chapter that God has written you. And for your purpose and your plan, it's never too late in God. Amen. All right, let's have the worship team join me. i got to end this message and the keyboard will make me wrap it up faster. I just, I would love to say that a prayer could just fix all this and just make it all go away. And sometimes God does that. But I'm just, I, I want, I'm inviting you into a journey. Th th this is kind of how I see myself. I'm a tour guide. I want to take you on this path where God, God can heal this filter. And we can cross out some names together in small groups. We can cross out some names together while we serve the kingdom of God. And we, we figure out what was God's original design. What was his original path for me. He wants to do that work under the hood of our life. And, and what I saw this healing happening, I'll give you these four things fast, is here's what you do. Let the one who designed you define you. Don't be led by your emotions and by your feelings. God created you. He knows what's best for you. Psalm 139 says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Are you with me, everybody? Yes. Number two, see God the right way. See, the world's trying to get you to see that God's angry with you and that he's mad at you and, and, and that he's, he'll make you a grease spot if you mess up. That's not true. God loves you. God loves you in spite of what you did last night. He doesn't approve of what you did, but he loves you. And he doesn't focus on what you did wrong. He sees your potential, and he wants to help you see what, what he can do through you. Are you with me, everybody? And number three, allow God to heal my heart. Will you? Will you this year? Will you going forward? Will you, will you do like David said? Search me, oh God. Search me. Search me, oh God. What's offensive? What's wrong? Where am I thinking wrong? Where am I seeing things wrong? Where am I messing up? I promise you, if you can, let, if you can do that, you invite him in, then he's going to write you a whole new path, a whole new future. That's the last one. Invite God into my future. Psalm 139, 24. Lead me along the path everlasting. That everlasting path is not about heaven. It's about earth right now. Amen. Will you stand your feet and let me pray for you? Did you guys get something out of this this morning? Can we give the Lord a big praise for his word? <laughs> I'm going to release you, TC, Framingham. I love you guys so much. With every head bowed and closed in this room, let's be still before the Lord. It would be bad if I moved on without taking a moment to help somebody start their journey. How, how, how Pastor, would I start this journey? How do, I, how do I get this thing kicked off? Well, 
you got to invite Jesus into that, that, that filter, that heart. It's up to you to invite Jesus into your heart. If you're here today and you know you've never done that before, you've never, you've never done that, it's, it's a free will thing. It's a choice that you, you make. He will not impose his way on you. But I will say, I will say, you might be his creation, but you have to choose to be his child. And if that's you today, you say, I want to choose Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior. I want to surrender my life to him. And I choose to follow him. I'm going to let him define things. I'm going to let him, you know, just fix things that are wrong in my heart. If that's you today, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I don't want to miss that. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you right up here. Two, three. Thank you. Over there. Thank you. Good night so I can see you. I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So good. Thank you all the way to the back. I see your hand. God bless you. Church, would you pray this prayer with them as we, as we join them in faith? Those that raise your hand, say this from your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Say, Jesus, today I invite you into my heart. I pray that you change me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I repent of my sins and the ways that I've tried to do it on my own. I transfer, trust the wheel of my life over to you. From this day forward, I will live my life for Jesus Christ who loves me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the church said amen, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. God bless you, everybody.